Hello, my friends. Welcome. My name is Joe, and this is The Joe Martino Show. Today, I am excited to talk to you about a question that I think plagues us all. How do we know if we've made a good decision? We have to make decisions all the time. Sometimes they turn out good. Sometimes they don't turn out good. How do you determine if a decision you made was good? Let's kick it off. This is The Joe Martino Show. You're listening to The Joe Martino Show, a podcast dealing with all things emotional, relational, and human nature. Joe is a licensed counselor in the state of Michigan, specializing in relationship therapy. He is also the author of the book, The Emotionally Secure Couple. All advice offered in this episode is offered for entertainment and educational purposes only. Enjoy the show. Okay, so I want to talk to you about what is a good decision. How do you determine a good decision? This is something that I think people get stuck on regularly. I've had a lot of clients tell me this summer they want to focus on how do I make a good decision? How do I make a decision? How do I make good decisions? And I often ask them, well, how do you determine if a decision's been good or bad? How do you make that decision? And a lot of times they'll tell me either I don't know and then I'll push or they'll just skip the I don't know part and we'll end up at they determine a good decision based on how it turns out. And the problem with deciding if a decision was good or bad based on how it turns out is there's too many factors that we don't control. There's too many other things that go into it. And so I want to talk about that a little bit. And then I want to talk about some of your processes. And I want to give you five steps that you can go through to kind of maybe enhance your project, your decision-making process, to alter your decision-making process if necessary, or at the very least give you five things to think about besides the outcome in determining whether or not a decision was good or bad. So a lot of times when I talk to clients, what they'll say to me is, well, this was a good decision because it turned out all right. This was a bad decision because it turned out poorly. When that happens, what I point out is, is what they're doing is what gamblers call resulting. One of the things that I like about poker and not chess, and I've talked about this in passing in previous podcasts about how a lot of people think life is like chess, but really it's like poker in that in chess, all the moves are known. All the information is known. The only thing that isn't known is what the other person's going to do. But once they do it, it's known. In poker, you never know all the information. You never know exactly what the other person has. And that's more like life. And so one of the things that we have to do if we want to avoid being caught in a resulting trap is we have to create a focus of a process for us to go through in how we make decisions. And so obviously the first thing we want to do is we want to get it, the decision that we're trying to make down to its most basic details. Can we get it down to one or two or three choices? Now, if you study Chip and Dan Heath, if you read their book, Decisive, they talk about trying to move from an either or type of decision to a both and. And I'm all for that. But sometimes we're stuck with an either or. So if you're stuck with an either or, what's the process for how you're going to make the decision? I think this is where people get caught up because they make a decision it doesn't turn out well and then they they decide it was a bad decision. Now there are bad decisions that turn out poorly, but there's also bad decisions that turn out well and there are good decisions that turn out bad. And we have to accept that as we step back and then look at the process. But the key here is we're looking at the process of how we determine if a decision was good. In other words, a lot of books talk about how to make a decision. I have right on, I have a list like ideal wall in my office that I'm slowly 
moving from analog, which is paper and pen, to all digital, I'm moving it into my iPad. But on the idea wall is, is a decision-making process from a book that I read uh, uh, by Charles Duhigg. I think it was his better, Smarter, Better, Faster book, or Smarter, Faster, Better book. And, uh, you know, that's up there just a little bit over. There's another idea on how to make decisions. Books, podcasts, YouTube videos on how to make decisions are plentiful. And to be honest, I add to that 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 uh, body of work. I'm I tell people, uh, you know, have you thought about this way to make a decision? Have you thought about that? Here's a method. What I want to do is I want to just shift today's conversation though to how do you decide if a decision was good? How do you determine if you made a good decision or a bad decision? I'm reading a book right now, and the author will give you a little bit of theory, and then he'll launch into kind of this diatribe about how you did this and you thought that. And in it, he actually says in one of them, you made a bad decision. And in my head, I immediately went, whoa, whoa we don't know that. All we know is that the person's decision turned out poorly. This is important to consider because in our results-oriented world, we tend to look at results as the greatest litmus test for whether or not I made a good decision. So someone marries a man that they think is going to be a great husband and he turns out to be uh, a lout and a cheat. That doesn't actually mean that she made a bad decision. It means the outcome was bad. Someone starts a business and it goes belly up. That doesn't mean they made a bad decision. It just means that the outcome of starting that company was bad. One of the hardest issues is we have to get away from this idea that the result determines whether or not it was a good decision, which then begs the question, well, how do we determine what is a good decision? Well, I'm glad you asked. So I think one of the things we have to look at, certainly we're going to look at the outcome, but one of the things we want to look at is how did we make the decision? Did we engage the decision-making process in a helpful way. So I think there are five steps that, and the first one is forecasting. Every decision is forecasting. In every decision you make, you're making a bet on a future outcome. Annie Dukes talks about this in her book, Thinking in Bets. Every decision you make is a forecasted decision. You choose a job because you're betting that the future with that job is better than the future without it. Even if it's your seventh choice. You're choosing to, whatever it is you choose to do, you're choosing, you're making a forecast on what the future will look like for you. And this is important to understand because as you engage the decision-making process, you want to try to be clear about what do you think the future will look like with this decision? How do you think this decision will turn out? And here's the important part, and why do you think it will turn out that way? I'll ask people this relatively regularly. Okay, well, what are you hoping will happen with the decision that you're making? And they'll tell me. And sometimes that can take a long time, kind of fleshing out what it is that they're thinking or hoping will happen. And then I will ask them, why do you think that will happen? And that conversation, as a general rule of thumb, either goes half as fast as the what are you hoping for or twice as fast. Because sometimes it's, mm, I don't know. And they, they really don't know. They have no idea why they think the future that they're forecasting will actually happen. 
They want it to, they hope it will, but they have no idea why it will. And so I asked them, well, you got to come up with reasons. You got to throw at least something at the board. Because if you don't have any reasonable idea why your forecast will come true, you've got more work to do on just this step. What are you hoping will happen and why do you think it will happen? I once, uh, uh, we were doing a marriage conference and I once had lunch with people who came. I don't remember why. Somehow it was set up that if people who came uh, or paid early or registered early or something, they could go to lunch with, with me or something like that. I don't know. It was weird. But so I'm, we're at lunch and somebody says to me, okay, well, what did you do to get in this? You know, I talked about, well, you know, I'm a counselor and kind of went through my credentials and, and, and she said to me, well, I think I want to do this. I was like, oh, cool. What do you do? And, and she owned her own cleaning business, and uh, which is great. I mean, that's an important business and an important market. And, and she said to me, uh, I said, okay, well, why would people listen to you? And she said, well, I have a compelling story. I'm like, no, no, no. I'm not actually, like, I'm not discounting your story. I'm sure it is interesting. And I'm sure you're an interesting storyteller. You're a good speaker. But if somebody's just looking at your flyer or my flyer, your ad, my ad, or your ad and a Weekend to Remember's ad, I don't care who it is, why would they choose you? And the person was somewhat offended, like I was saying that they didn't have a compelling story, which isn't the point. Oh, I was trying to get to this idea of forecasting. You have a what, you also need a why. What do I hope will happen? Why do I think it will happen? If you don't have that, you don't have a forecast. And this leads right into the second step, which is what is the information available to me? How much information have you collected? Have you done research? How many other people have made a decision similar to yours? How did it work out? I, I once had somebody tell me that they were going to drop out of college and join the military because they were tired of other people telling them what to do. And I said, so you're looking for freedom? And they said, yes. And I said, how do you define freedom? And they said, being able to do what I want to do when I want to do it. And I said, okay, I'm not sure you understand how the military works. And they were just flabbergasted that I would suggest such a thing. I said, well, do you know anyone in the military? No. I texted a friend of mine and said, hey, uh, could I put you in touch with someone who wants to join the military so you could tell them about your experience and maybe share a little bit with them. This person went and talked to, went and talked to 10 people and went and joined the Peace Corps. I'm, I don't know anything about the Peace Corps. Maybe they give you more freedom. I, I don't know. But do you have the information that is available to you? Have you done your homework? Now, we're talking about how do we determine if a decision that we made was good or bad. One of the ways that we do this is we look back at the process we used and we might ask ourselves, did I research, did I do the homework to get the information available to me and get it into my system? If I did, then I at least accomplished one of the steps of good decision-making processes. And no matter how it turned out, I can say I operated off of the information that I had available to me at the time. That's the beauty of this step. What we're doing is we're setting ourselves up to be able to say, I did operate off the information I had available at the time. I didn't. Uh, my stepmother, one time her and I were talking, we were in a group of people, and we were talking about how parenting is just an action with incomplete information. And there are many times that I've made parenting decisions, and she, she agreed with this as well, many times we've made parenting decisions 
where later we had more information. In fact, I've talked about this in other podcast episodes. You make the best decision you can with the information you have available to you. And sometimes as you look back, you're like, oh man, I didn't have all the information. The point of this question isn't whether or not you had all the information, but whether or not you did the homework to get all of the information that is available. Slight distinction there, but a very important one. I'm starting from a place where I assume you're not going to have all the information. You're not going to know all the information. Most of the time when you make a decision, my assumption is you're going to come back to it later and you're going to find that there was more information than you had. And there's really nothing you can do about that. That That's my belief. Uh, we, could, we could discuss that if you'd like. Sometimes people uh, hear points like that and they decide to write in. I want you to know I love that. I would appreciate that. I just think that there's just too much information out there for us to know all the information. And I really, at one time in my life, I thought the internet and Facebook would change that. And I'm not sure that it has I think it's made us more skeptical of information because there's so much false information, there's so much photoshopped information put out there that we've just kind of become, I know I have, I've just become more skeptical. Uh, I'll, I've seen you know information from my left-leaning friends and then literally the very next post is the same incident from my right-leaning friends. And so, you know, one of it is, is, is in the information available, you have to look inward to what is your philosophy about things. So my parenting decisions, I want the information available to me about best parenting practices, about best schooling practices. And at the same time, I have to recognize that I'm filtering them by my own bias, but I want that bias to be driven by my purposefully chosen values filter. So I, yeah, I have a bias and I have a slant. I had a conversation with my daughter's principal last year. Uh, he sent out an email and I read it and I was like, I don't think philosophically I agree with this and I need to know how is it going to affect my child. And so I wrote him an email and he wrote me back and we exchanged probably three emails and it was fine and it was good. But part of gathering the information available to you is, is making sure that you understand what is your philosophy? What is your values? What is, what is it that you're hoping to accomplish? Not, not for the forecasting one, like how do you hope it turns out, but how does how it turns out fit into your greater arc of what you're trying to accomplish in life? And so there are good people that disagree with me on this, but I'm anti-spanking. And often people will say to me, well, you can't reason with a kid. And I actually agree with that, which is why I say I'm anti-spanking, because I think you have to reason more when you spank. I'm anti 24-7, 365 sports. I'm, I'm, I'm against that. I am absolutely 100% against it. If you have your kids play sports all the time, I want you to know that I, I love you. I hope the best for you. But I, I disagree with that. And the minute we get into that, now we're starting to get into something because now we're actually making choices and this is where the anxiety goes up. I felt it in my own chest when I was doing that little thing about if you have your kids in those, I almost said, I think you're wrong. And I was like, oh crap, I can't say that because it's 2019 and we can't offend people. 
So what's your philosophy of life? How do you want to approach life? That's part of the information available. And so one time when I was talking about sports, there was a guy who said to me, if you look at U.S. senators, U.S. congressmen, leaders, all of them played sports. So I went and looked. And it's true. Almost all of them at the time that I looked, and this is probably about six years ago, eight years ago, almost all of them had played sports. But almost all of them had not played travel sports. They had done in-season sports. Went to practice after school, three to five, came home. Almost all of them had many other factors too. And the thing of it is, I don't want my, I don't care if my kid's a congressman or a senator. No offense to anybody out there that listens. I'm told that there is one congressman uh, that listens to this occasionally. Uh, so if you are listening to this episode, I'm not against what you do. I'm just saying I don't necessarily care if my kids do that. But that's part of the information available to me. Once I have my forecasting down and I have my information available to me that I've done my research and I've gone and looked for that information, then I have to actually make a prediction. What are the likely outcomes of the decision I'm making? So let's just go with the business one. If I start a business, what's the likely outcome? Now, the question of why runs through all of these little steps. If I start a business, what's the likely outcome? Like I'm always a friend of mine, actually a really great individual, a great human, a few weeks ago put up on Facebook that she was thinking about starting a blog. And so I asked on Facebook, I said, what's the win? And I haven't heard back. In fact, I should swing over there on Facebook and check. She lives in a like completely different state, so it's not like I can just swing over to see her. But I should check because what's the win? What's the likely outcome of starting a blog? As far as I know, blogs are by and large dead in 2019. Unless you're an author uh, or a public figure, and even then, it's just part of an integrated system. It's one of the reasons I used to blog quite a bit. I had a baseball blog that I loved. Uh, I was part of some group blog projects, had my own personal blog. And, and over the last couple of years, we've shifted more to an integrated digital marketing plan because we believe the likely outcome of sticking with, with just blogging was not going to help us accomplish our goal, which was in our first step of forecasting. And so we've made the transition from blogging to this podcast to a YouTube channel, which I found out I'm not very good at. And so I had to go gather more information and now I'm reworking it for the third time, which I know Google hates that algorithm or the Google algorithm hates that, but it just, it is what it is. I want to produce good content. I feel like I am producing good content, but I wasn't doing a good job at the marketing side of it. So I had a meeting with a person who's really good at that and I gathered more information because the likely outcome, if I kept doing what I was doing, was that it wasn't going to succeed. I'll see this with people. They'll get upset because they do the first two steps. They forecast. They get the information available minus one step or minus one piece of information. And then they start doing the steps and they don't see the results very well or, or very quickly. And I'll always ask them, well, what's the likely outcome? What's the likelihood that the outcome you're hoping for would happen in this time frame? It's a little bit, and I use this illustration a lot, it's a little bit like planting a garden in May. Unless you live in Michigan, you have to wait till June. If you plant your garden in June here in Michigan, May everywhere else, 
and then going out three days later and there's no fruit on anything, there's no vegetables, so you rototill the whole thing and put in a basketball court. The likely outcome that you're going to start a business and see a profit quickly is minimal. The likely outcome that you're going to plant a garden and it will have fruit and vegetables three days later, very minimal. The likely outcome that you're going to get married and there's never going to be a fight, very minimal. The likely outcome that you're going to get married and it won't be hard, very unlikely. The likely outcome that you're going to avoid many of the pains and struggles that married couples have by not getting married but choosing to live like you're married, very unlikely. Likely outcomes are important. Now, here's the thing. If you get mad at weather people, you're about to get very upset with me. The thing with likely outcomes means that sometimes the smaller percentage hits. So when I'm talking to clients about this, a lot of times I'll talk to them about, you have to consider like how likely do I think this outcome is? Am I 60%? Do I think it's 60%, 70%, 80%? Do I think it's a sure thing at 100%? And so this is where the weather people come in. They'll, they'll get on the radio, the TV, Facebook, whatever, and they'll tell you there's a 75% chance that we're going to get hit with snow, rain, sleet, uh, snow, and I already said snow, and it's going to be 80 degrees all today. And there's a 15% chance that it'll be a normal weather day with overcast skies. Well, if it's just a normal weather day with overcast skies, that doesn't mean they were wrong. It just means the 15% hit. Sometimes the lower number hits. So the thing with likely outcomes is you might say, I'm 75% certain this is going to go this way, and it still might not. If I do these things, I'm 80% certain my kids will grow up to be uh, productive adults. I'm 90% certain my kids will grow up to be productive adults. If you say 100%, I'd ask you, how do you account for their factor? How do you account for their behavior, right? If I start this business, I'm 85% certain that it will grow. Well, you might fail at the 15%, but that doesn't mean you were you made a bad decision. It just means the 15% hit. This is really important. So you have to write out what are the likely outcomes. And I always have clients write them out and then rank them. How likely to least likely or least likely to most likely. I don't care. Okay, so the first three steps, forecasting, what is it that you're hoping to accomplish? Why do you think that will, that will, you'll accomplish that? What's the information available to you? Have you done the homework to get it? And then what are the likely outcomes and ranked? Number four, what are the unknowns? Well, Joe, if they're unknown, how do I write them down? I totally agree. But you have to try to account for them somehow. And the problem is you don't know what you don't know when you don't know it. And then once you know it, you never remember not knowing it. And and I get that. But what is the process of how we achieve unknowns, how we look at unknowns? Sometimes, because remember, this is a process to consider how good of a decision did I make. Sometimes you just write unknowns down and you wait. And as one pops up, you're like, oh, I didn't know that before. You write it down. But when you're looking back at the decision, this is one of the ways that you can evaluate it. What was it that I didn't know? Like I think about the guy who invented uh, the CD player. I remember when I was a kid, I watched a special on TV about the CD. And like it was the, the one that he was working on was held in the vault and there was like the dry smoke or whatever they do to keep the moisture out of the air, dry ice. I don't know. It was, it was really interesting. 
But CDs, eh. My, my wife and my family and I were camping recently, and the campground had a payphone. Like, literal payphone box. My kids didn't know what it was. Now, when that payphone was put in, an unknown was, someday we're all going to have cell phones, and we're not going to use payphones. On that same camping trip, uh, I had to replace my phone. And so yesterday I was driving from one office to the other. And typically when I call someone, there's about five people that I call regularly. So they're right on my truck. I have a little touch screen that I can push and it just calls them or I can say their name and, and it'll call them. I haven't set up this phone with my truck yet to be able to do that. So I actually had to use my phone and I had to say, hey Siri, call you know my dad. And Siri came back and said, which number would you like to call? Work, where, which he's retired now, m mobile or home? And I was like, I don't know. Do I call his mobile or his home normally? And so I, I picked mobile, but I got to thinking, how many people have home phones? How many people went into a business that surrounded home phones? And it, it's it's gone now. Like, there's they just don't, they're not... They're not nearly as ubiquitous. How many people wanted to go into newspaper writing? And it's just not the same. It's all online now, mostly. There are a lot of things that we don't know. We don't know what tomorrow's going to look like. We don't know what next month's going to look like. We don't know what inventions are coming out. We don't know other people's input or output, which is the fifth thing we have to evaluate when we're looking at the decision-making process. How did other people affect these outcomes? And did I account for them? Could I have accounted for them? Because people change, and sometimes not for the better. Sometimes people have good intentions, and they just make bad decisions. Uh, if you think about the movie, It's a Wonderful Life, and it's the middle of July, middle of June. I don't really want to think about Christmas, to be honest with you. I love summer. I enjoy winter, but I love summer. And But if you think about that movie, the whole movie kind of starts off because other people's actions affect George in a way that he couldn't account for. His uncle loses money. And the the Scrooge of that movie, I think it's Mr. Potter, he, he steals it. He does something illegal. You can't account for other people's behavior often, and you can't control it. So when you run into an issue where you are stuck with, with consequences that somebody else made, that doesn't mean that you made a bad decision. And it was an unknown, and it was other people's input or output. By the way, the fifth step when you're kind of evaluating is what was other people's input output into the outcome of this decision? I was once offered a promotion at a job that I had that would have been a tremendous promotion from where I was at. It would have increased my pay almost by 50% an hour. It would have increased my benefits for my family. Uh, it would have, it would have, it would have really, the, the place we were at, it would have helped tremendously, but it would have hedged me in from what I really wanted to do, which was open up private practice. And so I said, no, and I'm not kidding. Like literally they made five different pitches. And, and I finally said, look, you got to understand the job you're offering me is great, but it doesn't get me where I want to go. That's forecasting. If that's using information available to me, and that's talking, that's working out of likely outcomes. Unknowns, as I look back, I really didn't have any unknowns for that position, and other people's input output didn't affect it. 
But now in private practice, I own a business. Or, or let me, I'm sorry, see, I, I got my illustrations mixed up. Now I look down at my paper here and realized that I was about to give you the wrong story. I had another job that I took that I needed to take. I was in grad school. Uh, I ended up losing that job. I got let go. In truth, I wasn't very good at it. It was a sales job. I'm not very good at sales. Uh, and one of the things, though, there was unknowns, which was one of the uh, upper management people was taking money from the company. I didn't know that. The guy who hired me didn't know that. Other people's input-output, that person taking money is hurting the company. And they actually let me go because they didn't have the money. And the whole company went bankrupt six months later. So it doesn't mean that I made a bad decision to take that job. It just turned out poorly because I couldn't account for the unknowns and the other people's input or output for what was going on. I know a guy who took a job at a church. His forecasting was good. He knew what he wanted to accomplish. He knew why he thought he could accomplish that. Now, what he didn't know, and we talked about it later, one of the things he didn't know, so we're going to skip down to the unknowns here, was he really wasn't that good of a leader at the time. He had his own leadership flaws that he had kind of been insulated from because other places he had been, he had been successful because the leadership around him made up for those weaknesses. But this was going to be his first solo adventure. The information available, he didn't do a good job here. He asked good questions, but he didn't pursue them. And so literally they lied to him to get him there. Uh, I, I mean, I guess I, there's always two sides to a story, but I, I know that this, this is true. They lied. There was two questions that they lied. I've never quite heard their side of that story. Uh, maybe they didn't feel it was lying because they, I, I think my guess would be based on the transcripts of conversations that I've seen that they felt they're kind of playing semantics. They felt that they answered his exact question. They didn't necessarily answer the spirit of the question, at least on one of them. On one of them, they flat out told him, yeah, we lied. Well, we didn't. And one person said, well, we didn't lie. We changed our mind. Uh, we did not do a good job on the information available. He didn't pursue it. The likely outcomes, I would argue, and this is something that, that he and I have talked about. I said, well, how likely was the outcome that you were shooting for he says, well, looking back now, it probably was far less than I originally forecasted it at. I originally probably had it at about 80%. It was probably you know less than 30 Just because of some of the functions of things that had happened in the church, the way they were set up, some of the problems. And then other people's input-output, he can't account for that. Now looking back, he can look and be like, oh, this person here did that, and this did that, and this. And then this is kind of like a five sub-point one what was my input output that led to the outcome outside of the decision? In other words, maybe the decision to start was solid, but somewhere along I lost the necessary behaviors to achieve the decision to the goal, if that makes sense to you. Okay, so five steps plus a little bonus one there. When you're evaluating a decision, did you forecast? Did you have the information available to you? Did you pursue the information available to you? Did you do kind of like a little likely outcomes? It's one of the things I like about, I do, I like, a, I like poker. I've, I mentioned that. I, I know some people are probably put off a little bit by that. Uh, but I, I enjoy poker because when you say, okay, all in, you're just betting on a likely outcome. When you start a business, likely outcome. What were the unknowns that you couldn't account for? And then what were other people's input output? Now, in the very beginning, I talked about how we want to try to get the decision down to one or two things. Kind of just one other way to consider evaluating this 
is you might look at it and say, okay, if I choose A, what's the likely outcome? What would need to happen for me to consider that was a good choice? And how likely is that? If I choose B, what would need to happen for that to be a good choice? So if I choose to start a business, if I choose to put my kids in that school, if I choose to take that vacation, what would have to happen for that to be a good choice? If I choose not to do those things, what would have to happen? Uh, we go camping a lot. And I was talking to somebody about it, like, oh, do you hike a lot? And I'm like, no, we don't do any of that. In fact, our favorite place to go, we don't even walk much. You, you basically ride a golf cart everywhere. Because the outcome that I'm shooting for, the thing that I hope happens in order for that to be a good choice is that I build memories with my family in doing something that we all love. And the likely outcome of camping at that place, achieving that, is high. Now, it doesn't always fit the picture in my head. Sometimes my kids have their headphones in listening to music. Sometimes my kids are singing their music. But we're integrating all of that. That's other people's input-output. And then I have to ask, okay, well, that input, it doesn't have to really move me off my goal. What's my input? How does that help? I hope that this helps you. I want you to know that you're going to make good decisions that turn out bad. And you're going to make bad decisions that turn out good. And that's okay. The, the, the hope here is that you're able to evaluate the decision based on the process you use to make it, not necessarily on the outcome. The outcome is going to be part of the evaluation process. I know that. But the problem that I find is when we look at the outcome as the deciding factor for whether or not a decision was good, typically people get paralyzed after one or two bad outcomes. And when you look at the history of people who move the world, they all had bad outcomes, all of them. Poor Abraham Lincoln ran unopposed for some minor office in his younger days and still almost lost. There's always negative outcomes. Was the process good? Because when we start focusing on the process, this is a whole separate podcast and this, this episode's really already gone kind of long. But then you can start looking at things like, well, what could I do differently next time? We'll get into that in another episode. Uh, I need to stop talking. Thanks so much for listening. I know that you can spend your time anywhere. I do want you to know uh, we are working on, I am working on a second book. We're, we're working on uh, integrating the first book, the study guide into the first book. And we're going to republish that here in just a few short months, uh, kind of a second edition with the study guide questions inside, hoping to facilitate uh, maybe some more small groups around the idea of emotional security. If you haven't read the book yet, uh, I'd love to uh, get that in your hands for you to read. You can get it at any major bookstore uh, or online, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, those places. Uh, if you're local and you want to swing by an office, you can get a signed copy at any of our offices. If you'd like more information about that or any of our services, please call 616-481-3784 or visit JoeMartinoCounselingNetwork.com. That's going to be changing in the very near future to just JoeMartinoCounseling.com, but right now it's JoeMartinoCounselingNetwork.com. Thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, please share with a friend. Give us a rating on the iTunes store. And if you have a question for a future show, feel free to send us an email at info at You can also go to 
joemartino.com and click on the Contact Me page. Until next time, remember, change possible.